The first reading tonight is Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 18. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die... We die to the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Our second reading tonight comes from Romans 14, verses 19 and chapter 15 to verse 7. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God, For the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat, or drink wine, or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith 
is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So ends our reading. Amen. I wonder, have you ever used the right thing, but in the wrong way? Now, I promised Richard that I wouldn't tell you it was him that I'm about to talk about, but one time... (laughs) One time we had friends round for tea, and the deal was that he was to do all the cooking. Now, that is a rare event, not that he can't cook, it's just he doesn't think he can. And it came for us to make dessert. Now, I'd already put an apple crumble ready... And we had some ready-made custard. It is so straightforward to do ready-made custard. So I left him to it and I said, you know, just heat it up. And he was like, okay, that's fine. And then I get, what should I put it in? So I said, just stick it in a pan, right? Ten seconds later, I get a call through. Jack, come through. I'm like, what's up? He said, the pan handle doesn't turn around in the microwave. Thankfully, he hadn't exploded the microwave, it didn't set on fire, it wasn't long enough. But that is an example of using the right thing in the wrong way. And here in Romans, Paul argues that it's, in, that it's possible to use the right thing in the wrong way. But he's speaking about the freedom that we have as Christians. In the first 12 verses of Romans 14, He stated that we are absolutely free to decide for ourselves what we should do when it comes to non-essential issues like eating and drinking and that kind of thing. But we get it wrong, you see, when we judge other people. So he spoke about being slow to judge others and quick to judge yourself. And at the start of this chapter, he uses theological truth to put an end to silly little church squabbles. The debate they were having in verse 2 was one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. So there's a debate between those who, who eat meat and those who don't. And of course, the discussion wasn't really about whether they were animal lovers and thought that was wrong or not. But it was whether the meat was associated with sinful behaviour, like sacrifices. Some people felt it was fine. Um, So Paul calls them strong. And some Christians didn't. And Paul says that they're weak. So he says to them that you shouldn't judge each other when it comes to this issue. He says they should accept and welcome each other regardless. Now let's be honest, it's not the biggest of issues, the debate in here. But it led to bitter feelings and a breakdown of relationships. It's often the little things that cause the biggest division in churches. So whilst it might be a small issue, 
it can become something incredibly divisive when dealt with in the wrong way. So it's that kind of thing that he goes on to talk about in this chapter. Later on in verses 13 to 23, he says that whilst we're free to decide what we think we should and shouldn't do, apart from, of course, those things that we obviously shouldn't do, we're also told that we're responsible for not having an adverse effect on other Christians. You see, rights bring with them responsibilities. So the question is, how do we handle our liberty? How do we handle the freedom to choose that we have? And of course the answer is we handle it carefully. And Paul gives us some different ways in which we should do that. He urges us to limit our freedom because not all Christians have the same freedoms on non-essential issues. We need to make sure that we don't harm other Christians. In verse 13 he writes, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. He tells us to stop judging people um, on their opinions and be more concerned with our own lives and what we are doing rather than everyone else. And I dare say that we'd be a lot better off if we spent a lot more time thinking about ourselves rather than other people. But that word obstacle, it means something in the road that causes someone to stumble. So if someone who has a strong faith puts an obstacle in the way of someone who doesn't, then they might set them back in the short term or or even for good. And apparently the term stumbling block is a Greek term for which from which we get the English word scandal. It literally refers to the triggering mechanism on a baited animal trap. The activity looks enticing until the jaws snap shut. And it's that kind of thing that we need to avoid. And many tales are told of the greatest preacher of the 19th century, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He ruffled feathers of not just a few Christians in his day by his lifestyle choices, particularly his fondness of fine cigars. Smoking was shunned by many Christians, but not Spurgeon. And on one occasion, a young man approached him and asked what he should do with a box of cigars that he'd been given. Give them to me, Spurgeon replied, and I'll smoke them for the glory of God. Sometime later, at the height of his fame, Spurgeon was walking down the street and saw a sign that read, We sell the cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And after reading that sign, he gave up the habit. He came to see that that what was for him a freedom might cause other people to stumble. So in the same way, we need to make sure that we never tempt a weaker Christian to sin by doing something that we might choose as a freedom to do, but that would go against their conscience. We need to be stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. And in verse 14, it says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, what he's not saying is that everything's fine, everything goes because everything's good, but things in and of themselves are not always bad. It's how we choose to use them. There are loads of things I'm sure we can think of, um, Like, knives are fine, but if we use them badly, that's bad. Alcohol, anything, there's all sorts of things. 
that can lead us to do bad things if we use them the wrong way. And he goes on to say, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. So if a Christian thinks that something is unclean, then for that person it is unclean. This verse kind of is a bit of a shocking verse because it says that some things that are wrong for you might be right for others. And some things that are right for you might be wrong for others. Which means you can't always know in advance what will be right or wrong for someone else who's a Christian. It's a matter of individual conscience. There was a man who went to the doctor and he complained, I've been misbehaving, doc, and my conscience is troubling me. The doctor replied, and you want something that will strengthen your willpower, do you? Well, no, said the man. I was thinking of something that would weaken my conscience. Listen to your conscience. The conscience isn't always right, but it's always wrong to go against it. And in verse 15, he continues, If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Paul explains that it's possible to hurt or destroy another Christian. When they see us doing or someone doing something that their conscience doesn't allow, then it would cause them problems because if they went on to do it themselves, they would be committing a sin. And he talks about how they lose peace and they lose assurance. And as Christians, we should simply love one another. But because Jesus died on the cross for us, because he was willing to do that for us, then we should be willing to make small sacrifices for the sake of other Christians. So the freedoms that we choose should be shaped by love for other people. If some people can't see themselves being free in a certain situation because they believe it to be wrong, then we've got to be uh, sensitive and thoughtful towards them. So Paul's first warning is that we shouldn't be a stumbling block to other people. And he goes on to say how we shouldn't ruin our own testimony. Now, up to now, you could think that I'm saying just do what you want, whatever, it's, it's fine. But that's not true, because... The world is always observing Christians. We ought to be wise in how we use our freedom. Verse 16 says, Therefore do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. The thing that we know to be good in this situation refers to um, eating meat or something else that people might consider to be wrong. And Paul is saying that non-Christians can legitimately speak of our freedom in Christ as evil if it results in the fall of another Christian or the compromise of our testimony. Whether we like it or not, the world watches what we do. I'm sure I shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. There's a song by DC Talk who was super cool way back when, and it starts off by saying this. It says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You see, when we use our freedom unwisely, the world looks on and disapproves. Many non-Christians struggle so much with the idea of having a loving God because of what they see Christians do. Now, so often... Their view on what Christians should and shouldn't do is probably wrong. 
But so often our freedom can hurt or harm our ability to share our faith with those around us. And we, we go on to hear about uh, what the true life is for a Christian. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is where God rules. And it's not really mainly about the things that we do or don't do, but it's more about the things that people can't see. It's about what we're like on the inside too. We need to focus on what God tells us. We need to make sure that we spend time finding out what God thinks and what God is telling us to do or not to do. And what Paul is really asking is, how can you argue over such little things and miss out the big things? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. These things are all by far more important. And he goes on to say, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. If we have a healthy balance in enjoying freedom and limiting it when we need to, then we won't just be acceptable to God, but we'll be a good example to the world as well. Essentially, when we live our lives differently to other people, people will want to know why. So we shouldn't be a stumbling block to other people, and we need to make sure that we don't ruin our own testimony. But the next thing that we need to do is make sure that we don't damage the church. As Christians, we need to be building up the church, And it's in verse 19 that Paul tells us what we need to pursue. He says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. It's about, the term building up is about making a building stronger. Our goal then is to make the church stronger. We're told don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Earlier on it was talking about um, the danger of destroying weaker Christians. But here, it's about destroying the work of God, the church as a whole. Paul reminds us again, it's just not worth indulging yourself. Yes, all things are indeed clean, but to another Christian, it might not be. And that's when there's a danger that someone else might imitate you and go against their own conscience. The weaker brother is the one more likely to sin, and give in to someone else's convictions rather than stand by his own. So that's all well and good, but how do we make sure that we do that? How do we make sure that we're uh, stepping stones, not stumbling blocks? Well, we need to consider other people. In verse 21, it says, It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Paul urges the strong to abstain because their example might lead the weak to violate their consciences. He's willing to go without whatever it takes to avoid causing um, spiritual growth problems for someone else. And we need to be willing to do the same. We also need to be convinced. If we're doing things that aren't clearly forbidden in the Bible, then we should be confident in our own thinking that they're right. If we have any doubts, then we should give them up. And we need to be consistent. When we're certain that something is right, we shouldn't waver in our conviction. We need to be consistent. 
God has called us to a life of faith. Trust is the willingness to put all of our life before God for his approval. For a Christian, not a single decision and action can be good, which we don't think we can justify before God. Christian conviction is therefore a freedom before God. But let's skip a bit ahead to verse um, chapter 15, verse 7, which says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When Paul says that we need to accept one another, he means we need to accept one another. If we only accept people who are like us, then we'd be missing out on the radical command that it really is. In this case, the one another he speaks of are those who are from a conservative Jewish background, who ate only kosher meat and who've been taught from an early age not to defile themselves with any contact with the Gentiles. It also included Gentiles from pagan, idolatrous backgrounds who formerly worshipped with temple prostitutes. And they had no problem eating any kind of food set before them and who thought the Jews were legalistic and ultra-religious. In other words, the other person, the other person that we need to accept is the person who is entirely different to who we are in almost every way. It's so easy to accept our own personality quirks and habits. Uh, Comedian uh, Meryl Marco said, it's just like magic. When you live by yourself, all your annoying habits are gone. But Paul gives us a reason to accept one another. And that is because Christ accepted us. And then we need to think about the way he did that. He died for us whilst we were still sinners. We weren't seeking after him. Indeed, he came looking for us whilst we were lost. We didn't have to clean up our lives in order to be accepted by him. We didn't need to do anything to deserve his love. He just came to us regardless of our condition. And that is how we're meant to accept one another. If Christ would have only accepted people who had it all sorted out, no one would have thought anything of it. That's how the world works. You earn your way, you get what you deserve. But Christ accepts sinners who come to him as they are. When God converted a proud, self-righteous Jew who persecuted and killed Christians and then turned him into an apostle to the Gentiles, that glorified God. When God opens our eyes to our own self-righteousness and whatever else, then that glorifies God. So, it's that mercy that we need to extend to others. We need to show God's love to others even when someone doesn't deserve it because we simply don't deserve it and God gets the glory. That's the point of accepting one another. It's not just so that we all get along, which of course would be great, but it's so that God gets the glory. Let's pray together.